All right. We're back with episode number two of our mini series with John Ellis. Hey, John. Hey, Adam. How are you, man? Very good. We're going to be speaking today about John. What do you want to tell him? Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about today sales enablement, right? And engagement from more specifically a sales team, but I guess it could apply company wide. But, you know, how do you use sales enablement, sales engagement when you have little to no resources? Terrific. I'm really excited for this. It's going to be a good conversation, especially for startups who have very little resources, but want to get the most out of the sales team. So let's roll the intro and we'll start things off. Let's do it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. All right. So sales enablement and engagement with little to no resources. So one of the things that comes to my mind, John, is one of the big topics now is to use these sales engagement platforms like Outreach, Sales Loft, and things that start to automate the processes for the sales teams. Yeah. But these cost a lot of money. What, what do you think about these tools and everything? Yeah, I mean, I think they're great. So don't get me wrong. You know, I think they're really good using these automation tools. But in all honesty, I relate it to cars, right? And learning how to drive a manual transmission. You know, so I think if you can have your your automated transmissions and those are great, you can go quicker, you could shorten the learning curve. But I just feel like there's something to be said for learning and knowing how to drive a manual transmission. One, in case there's an emergency and Let's say there's only a manual transmission car there and, you know, we could still make it out. But also just learning the feel, the sense and the cognitive understanding of how to operate a business and how to run it. I do feel like, especially very early on, it's budget that you could deploy other places, right? As you had mentioned, these things are typically not inexpensive. And so you can deploy those funds other places, but then I think it has a long-term ripple effect as well on your team, having more cognitive understanding of what you're trying to do from your outbound process. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's so many people get tied up with these tools. You know, if their first job as a salesperson or a second job as a salesperson, they get used to having that, then they go to an early stage startup that doesn't have anything set up. They're like, well, I don't know what to do. How do I use Gmail? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you, you come across it. And so just on a side note, for any early stage people looking to bring on their first couple of salespeople or even their first sales leader, please, please, please talk to them about resources they had available. Talk to them about what they had available at other places because if you've had all these automation tools and you've had everything plugged in and you just walked in every day and there was a couple of steps that you needed to take and everything else was automated, it's going to be a bucket of cold water you know, when you don't have those tools. So make sure you understand that it's a nice to have in my mind, but not a need to have when you're an early stage company and you've got a burn rate that is only set to last you for another seven months. And so you need to start getting deals in fairly quickly. You can extend that out by just making sure you don't have to spend that budget up front. So I think there's a lot of things that you can do to help your team make sure they're set up for success that doesn't over engineer and over automate things. Yeah. I agree and disagree with you because at some point, though, 
you know, if you're an early stage startup and you're on limited budget, but you need to get sales, these automation tools are really going to be able to help you get more work done and approach and speak to more people. True. I mean, well argue, right? They're, like I said, and these tools are very valuable, right? And, and they provide a lot of value to the company. And yeah, I think if you've got a targeted approach, you can really work through them. So I think it's really philosophy, right? Is what you go through with these. But especially when we talk about just engagement from a team or sales enablement from a team, when you have a little budget, just think through, right? Where are you going to put the funds at and where are they going to go? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the engagement of the sales team. When you have no resources, but everywhere else, all you see is to put TVs up and and put all these big screens everywhere with leaderboards. What do you do? Yeah, I think the personality comes from you as the leader, right? And first, be engaged, right? I don't think you could, <laughs> you know, have a sales team, you know, be engaged when you're not engaged, right? So I think first and foremost, just as if you're the early stage CEO, right? If if you're the one really driving, or if you have a sales leader, they have to be engaged, and it can't be faked, right? It has to be organic engagement. You care about it. It's a passion project, right? That you're doing it. So I think the first thing is be engaged yourself. Right. And make sure that you're doing it. I, and I really think if you have a small team and you're an early stage company, even if you're the director of sales, the VP of sales, I mean, you should be going through this with them. Like you should be making cold calls. You should be setting demos. You should be uh, running the demos. You should be doing a lot of that work with them to stay in tune with them, but also to generate revenue for the business. And so my first step would be just be engaged with them. Right, have fun with it. It's high five, and it's you know we'd always have little rubber footballs. You know, in the office, we'd be throwing around footballs, and you know, having fun while you're doing the gritty work. But then there's also a couple of different things. So, one of the things that I've done is I created daily accountability spreadsheets for reps. And now all this again can be automated. This can be digitized. This can just be automatic reports from Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever you're using. But what I've had my reps do is at the end of the day, they would always input their metrics onto a spreadsheet. And so I can track them on a daily basis. And this wasn't to micromanage them. This was just to give them accountability, right? Of what are they doing? So for BDRs, right? Or even AEs, what I would have them before they left every day is they would input the number of calls they did, the number of demos they set, the number of demos they completed, and if they signed any deals that day, right? One, it'll give you historical averages, Right. You can do a roll up so you can see how the team was pacing on a daily basis. But I just do feel like there is something you get more inherent ownership when you have to input the zero. Yeah. So, you know, we all have slumps. I think we talked about it on one of our other episodes. Right. And I've have certainly had slumps myself. And a lot of times we'll forget them. Right. We won't remember or we'll gloss over it. Right. It's you kind of block them out in your memory. Right. Now, I didn't have a bad day. No, I've always said demos. But when you have to put that zero, I just feel like it gives you another layer of ownership on it. Of, hey, I had a bad day. It's not a bad week or a bad month, but it was a bad day. Let's make sure it doesn't turn into a bad week. Right. So accountability wise, I, I feel like that keeps the team engaged. Like, I think it does. Like, they're going to see it of like, OK, I want to progress. I want to be the person. Some other stuff that we've done is you take that same type of thing and make it on a whiteboard. So now it's visual that everyone in the office can see, right? So take a nice whiteboard and, you know, put boxes on there, right? Demo set, demos completed deals, whatever key KPIs that you're tracking. And one of the things we do is we'd give them colors, right? So, you know, Adam, he'd be blue, I'd be green, right? So if I set a demo, I'd go color in one of the boxes and you say, man, there's a lot of blue on there. John's not yeah. getting very many demos. <laughs> so <laughs> you can do it that way. And then, 
when we got a little bit of money, kind of a fun thing that I, I think they really liked is I went online and found this place that, you know, did custom magnets and did little magnets of their LinkedIn headshot. So mm. now, as opposed to just coloring in a little color, you go up there and throw your magnet up on the board. So now it's your face up there all over this board. And so it's it's recognition. So now the marketing person comes by and is like, hey, Adam, man, awesome job this week, man. Yeah. Hey, really good. Or the CS person or other business units are interacting with this as well. And you put it right in front and center, right? And keep them going and keep them engaged. And so I think compensation is is key, right? I think people get into sales for money, but also for some recognition, right? And so people outside their direct manager giving them recognition, I, I think is a big plus. And I don't think it's just salespeople that want the recognition. I think it's everybody. It's a human nature. Most people will want to, hey, you did a good job. Thank yeah, you. you. You want to be rewarded for your work, right? And if you're not having the best day, you know, your your peers can pick you up. Yeah. All right. They can pick you up. So I think accountability goes hand in hand with engagement. I really think it does. Like there's nothing worse than being in a job where you only do a one-on-one when you're in trouble, right? Or you do a one-on-one or you, you don't even talk to your director unless you don't hit the number. Yeah. Now suddenly you need to do frequent meetings with them to analyze pipeline, right? So I think that consistency, that accountability of, hey, this is what we're looking to do every day and, and let's go do it together and then rewarding them right, for that type of work is beneficial. Another thing, and again, just trying to find ways to recognize them when you don't have money, right? You can't, you know, give them a $5,000 bonus or you can't do things like that because you just don't have that type of capital. I've done stuff where I got little buttons or pins, right, that you'd, you'd put on your clothes that, and all it said was 100%. Yeah. And they were a couple of bucks and you buy a box <laughs> of them and every time reps hit 100%, you give them a pin. Yeah. And now they're collecting these. They're like, well, Adam, you got like seven pens here, man. Like you're crushing it. You're doing really well. Or I've, I found this one place too that does custom coins. And really? these really thick coins, you know, like in the military, coins are really big. They give a lot of everything. They make custom coins for them and they'll do stuff. And so on one side, it was the company's logo. And Brandon, on the other side, it was like 100% quota hitter. And so every time they hit, they get these nice, big, thick coins that they can collect. Right. And so it rewards them and is for recognition. But what's great is as you start to bring new people in, people naturally start to gravitate towards the people. They're like, hey, how, wait, how'd you get all these coins? Yeah. Oh, why does this person? And so they start to get more and more recognition. They, they feel more engaged. And if you guys are familiar with the college here in the States, Notre Dame and the Notre Dame football team has a, a big sign above their walkway when they go out to the stadium says, play like a champion today. And yeah. so I always have one of those hanging up in the office and say, hey, guys, like we got to make it count today. And then what we would do at the end of the quarter, end of the month, whatever it was, when every time a rep hit their quota, they get to autograph the board. Oh, that's nice. And so they get, it looks like it's graffitied on if, if it's working correctly, right? Get a bunch <laughs> of these signatures on there and, and they're doing it. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff that you can do that doesn't cost the company a lot of money, but also doesn't make the rep feel like the company's cheap. Yeah. I absolutely agree, but I think that you're forgetting, not that you don't do, but you're forgetting one major thing. And I think that's also just public recognition in front of the whole company. You know, when you have your stand-up meetings with your company, because your early stage is less than 50 of you, probably even uh -huh. less than 20, but to stand up and say, hey, Adam closed this deal this week that was really good, and or Adam met his quota this month for 100%. And, you know, that goes a long way to 
recognize those people that did a good job, even if they didn't yeah. hit 100%, but they, they worked their ass off and they, they made double the amount of phone calls than they normally do because they were really trying to hit their numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we did weekly all hands. You know, so it was with the whole company. And so you would have the sales team report their numbers to the entire company, right? right. And sometimes you don't want to report those numbers. You know, you had a bad <laughs> week or whatever it was, right? And you don't like them. But honest to God, more times than not, when I we had to cancel that meeting because, you know, something else came up, the reps that had a really good week were bummed. <laughs> they were like, wait, I, I, wait, I wanted to say it now. And now yeah. I wanted to do it. So, yeah, I, I think there's just... That personal recognition, right? Letting people know that they're valued beyond the bookings they put up, right? Or, or, you know, what they did for that week and just keeping them engaged of letting them know that you're right there with them. And so I think the leadership's engagement is key, you know, walking the floor, keeping engaged with them, talking to them because no one wants to be in that relationship, if you will, where you're only getting talked to when something's bad. And even if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have to feel like, you're cheap or you're, you know, you're not, you know, it's like, Hey guys, we're going to find other ways to let you guys know that we value you as an employee. Absolutely. Another way I found to keep everybody engaged is to, if you have a new idea that you want to implement into the, the business, or if the business wants to take a different direction with something and they want to implement something new to come and ask the sales team, this goes for every team as well, but ask them, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? And getting yeah. their feedback and letting them feel that they're part of it because at the end of the day, they are part of it and they, they know what the customers want. They know what the customers are saying. And this is going to get them really highly engaged. Yeah, absolutely. I think you at a small company, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? Everyone will say that. And so speaking up, right? Having a voice like, hey, here's what we hear and, and being thoughtful and deliberate on your decisions and really talking through them, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. So one of the things you said made me think of I had somebody on the podcast recently, I think, and what they did is they made like baseball cards, but playing cards of each salesperson with their stats for the last quarter. So every yeah, at the was. end of every quarter, they give the stats like a baseball card of like, here, here's how many MQLs you got. Here's how many SQL conversions you got. Here's how many leads, close one you got. And so they yeah. have all that stats and they build them up and they see how they improve over time. And it's really nice because you could take that to your next role. It's, it's also good for your future and show your next company, here's what I do. Here's what I've been improving and everything. Yeah, that, and that was me. That was from our, our first conversation you? and it was, it was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and, you know, they're going to take these, they're going to look at them. But I also think from an engagement standpoint, as you're doing this, if you notice a lot of the little things like coins and pins and we'll call them baseball cards, they're transferable. Yeah. Right. And they go with them. Right. And so I want someone, you know, to up level, right. Eventually when they up level, whether it's with you, hopefully, or, you know, people move on and do other things that they can take that and they can up level now and they can go in and you're absolutely right. And you're like, yeah, look at how, not only where I am today, but I think how much someone has progressed says a lot more about them as well. Yeah. And so what being able to see that progression and not just an inherent, you know, natural talent, if you will, but they actually had to fight for it and they had to really go after it and really work to improve certain metrics, I think is huge. 
Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, that wasn't just a cheap way to pump you up or something. I, I really forgot who said that, and I was really impressed by it. So, <laughs> no, like, I, like, I think I've heard this before, Adam. Come on. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> Couldn't have been that long ago. <laughs> All right. Let's take a different angle on, on the sales process, and let's talk about, like, you know, if these bigger companies and organizations, they generally have a team to help their salespeople with contracts and POCs, not just an attorney, but actually like people to help put this paperwork together. So from your experience, what have you done when it comes to legal paperwork, either POCs or contracts? Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I've got some experience here, but I mean, just between, you know, our private conversations and things like that, I would really want to hear your subject matter expertise on this as well, because I know you've got a ton of experience with that. Yeah. And I mean, one, the earlier on that you can standardize your term sheet and standardize your agreement, the better you're going to be, right? If you're constantly rewriting agreements for every customer, one, it's going to be tedious. It's going to be hard to scale. And it's going to be really challenging. And so just with my experience, I had much smarter people around me that can really help write the language. And, you know, you have attorneys that you can contract with if you're early stage, right? You may not have in-house legal counsel, yeah. right, to review things like that. So one of the co-founders, uh, well, all the co-founders at Luma, in all honesty, are, are brilliant. And they were just super helpful and really reviewing term sheets and saying, okay, this is what we can move on. We can, you know, eliminate this. We can, you know, if we take this exhibit here, we're going to put it here. So in all honesty, I didn't have a lot of direct work with writing the language, you know, that was actually in the agreement. What I was more focused on is like, what were the value outcomes that this person wants? So if we are writing proof of concepts, how are we going to succeed at this? Right. And so that's what I'd really pivot them of like, we can certainly write this here. And what I would look to do is say, if we're going to write a proof of concept, I want to write it in a way that assuming we meet all of our metrics, then it automatically converts into a full term sheet. Yeah, absolutely. I, f I found that, you know, I'd, I'd rather be dealing with the contract myself. And then once it's before we're ready to sign, get final approval from the attorney, whether it's a freelance or in-house or whatever, because it also helps build that relationship and keeps the barriers down because so many times, especially with legal, you're getting so caught up in language that doesn't really matter because it, it defeats the whole purpose of the contract. It's like, what is really important about this clause to you? And if you have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with the other side, you'll actually understand it better than just saying, well, we don't like this word and we want this deleted. <laughs> Red lines are point, pain. Yeah. Yeah. So I really love to have that interaction because it also builds the relationship with that client. Yeah. And, and what I would say is on that point, a lot of times when I was working with these ones is you want their buying an agreement on the boilerplate, right? Of the agreement. Okay. It's, it's a term sheet for X amount of years. This is what you're paying per seat. Yeah. If you're redlining an agreement and you haven't solidified those basic components of it. <laughs> You're wasting so you time. You talk about wasting time, right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Hey, so before we start really getting into the red line here. So again, if you standardize your term sheet and standardize your agreement there, once you get to that point, I would send them over a standard term sheet, you know, to say, Hey, here's the boilerplate stuff. You know, what do you think on this? It's almost like making an offer letter to an employee. Yeah. Here's your base and OTE and your variable, your healthcare. What do you think? Do, can I get a verbal on this? And then you can go into it. And if anything jumps out, right, you can take a look at it from there. But you want them committed to the boilerplate of the agreement and understand the term length, the seat price, whatever it is, the, the financials and the length of it. 
from there, then you can really start negotiating back and forth. Yeah. And that's good if you have more standardized pricing, but a lot of times some companies will have like unique pricing for every client. So you can't send over a boilerplate, but with pricing, but you could, you could discuss pricing over the phone and say, yeah. is this within the ballpark? Yes. Good. And you actually get a soft confirmation from them there too, which helps with the negotiations later. But I would actually then also typically at the early stage, I'll send a contract at the same time once we've had that initial qualification and we think it's going to go somewhere to say, let's run this with legal in parallel to our other systems that we're going to go through. So that way, if there's any red flags that come up from legal, we have time to squash them so that it doesn't come down to like, okay, we're ready to sign and then legal takes another month or two. But then also you could work them out as you're going forward. Yeah, because like you mentioned, a lot of those you can do in parallel. Yeah. Right. And say, hey, why don't we get this over to your legal department? They can start looking at what red lines we need to go through while you and I finish the negotiation on this component of it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's smart. Absolutely. And, and on POCs, it really depends on the kind of company and the kind of POC you're doing. Because I mean, if you're talking about seven figure deals plus and really technical and where you need to bring in actual physical hardware or whatever, then it's kind of you need a more structured POC. But if you don't, if you're a SaaS company and you're wanting to run a POC, then I don't like actually using a legal contract there. What I like to do is outline what a successful POC would be to the client, to them, and having them sign that or just accepting that. that I don't need a signature because people are afraid of that. But just say, yes, this, after I write it down and send it to them, and having them confirm that, yes, this is what a successful PLC would be to us. Then afterwards, you have that and you could say, well, it takes it away from them to object after the POC based off of something else that they, they found or they thought was an issue. And then you say, well, you said that actually this metric is what you would consider good. So why are we changing that? And then you could actually dive in deeper into the real reason. Yeah, I think you, you need to know where your mile markers are. Yeah. All right. So don't, don't be afraid to write a POC that has trip gates for you, right? I understand like, okay, let's get a clear definition of the success here, right? And what does it look like? And not just, okay, we're going to get you, you know, X number of seeds for X number of dollars for X number of months. Here you go. Yeah. And then it's because it, then you're, you're reselling at the end of that. Absolutely. Right. You almost want it to be a foregone conclusion. If you, if you can get that buy-in like you talked about there. Yeah. I want to talk on one, one more point on the legal side is because you, you mentioned something about, you know, you don't know how to write in the, the legal way. I found that many times if I want to add an addendum or something or change something, if I write it in the most basic and clear language, it's better. And you could still get the attorney's stamp of approval on it later. But that way, it's clear for both sides because it's typically on basic or not important sections of the contract. But then that way you could keep moving forward without having to get other people involved, which could cause more friction. Yeah. If it's over legalized, right, then they feel like they have to bring the legal department in yeah, absolutely. right at that point. Absolutely. All right. Let, let's change, change subjects a little bit and talk about, you know, a lot of companies have technical sales advisors or a team to help with the, on the technical side. What do you think about that if you don't have the resources to hire somebody like that? Yeah. I mean, if, if you don't have the resources it's going to be really challenging, right? So I think, especially at an early stage company, if you're a founder, hopefully you 
can go through all the technical components of it, right? So if you've got a background that's technical and you can help do the implementation or you can walk through it, you need to be able to take that on. But also at the early stage sales reps, like you need to understand that you're going to own more of the pre-sales cycle, if you will, right? So at an early stage, like your sales reps have to be really everything bundled in one, right? Like I never had the benefit of sales engineers, right? Like designing a solution. And so I think the biggest thing is be comfortable looping someone in, right? I used to loop in the CTO at Luma all the time, right? But what I want to do is understand how can I best set expectations for this call, but also be in the calls, in the meetings with them. So then you can learn from it as well, right? How can you learn from it? So I think the more that you could own in the pre-sale side, the better. Yeah. Right. Because again, it's resources, right? If we need to hire a technical component, we need to hire someone in. Again, that just takes resources from other departments, right? Where do you want to deploy these funds? And so the more that you can become a subject matter expertise, the better, right? You can't just be the smile and dial and I'm just going to get people and I'll throw it over the fence and hope CS can figure it out, (laughs) right? You've got to really get them bought in. Absolutely. I think it also, as a salesperson, you want to be so involved in the deal, A, for the relationship, but B, if you know the technical side of whatever issues are coming up and you understand that on a, on a high level even, then you're going to understand the client much better and you're going to be able to help that client much yeah. further than you would be just then to pass them off to a sales engineer. Yeah. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, especially if you're a sales rep, it, it's your commission. Yeah. Right. It's your deal to lose. And so the more thoughtfully involved you can be, the better. Yeah. Right. And so as as we started to scale, especially with early reps on and, you know, they're very anxious to hand it off to onboarding, right. And let them take over so they can go get new deals. Just in my experience, it comes down to expectations. Like what are the expectations of this customer or this prospect? And if you're not properly managing them, that's how you're going to get deals to churn, right. Or not to go through. And so I feel like that's the biggest thing is, stay as thoughtfully involved as you can, right? How can you move conversations forward? To your point, even going back to legal, right? Understanding, hey, can we do things in parallel, right? You're working with your internal champion. Can I send you this over so that business department can work on it while you and I continue down this path, right? So I think it's just being a thoughtful person and understanding where you can do things in parallel, where you can't, right? And be honest with people. We've said this on other episodes as well, right? Be honest. I would tell people if they wanted to get super technical about our integration, I was telling them, like, I'm going to loop someone else in on this call, right? Because yeah. you could be speaking in Mandarin for all I know. <laughs> like, I, this doesn't mean anything to me. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to bring someone on this call that does and make sure there's expectations. Okay, here's who needs to be on this call. Here's the topics we're looking to discuss. What outstanding questions do we need to get answered from the technical person so we can maximize their time, right? And understanding that. So I think it's being thoughtfully involved while always trying to learn about it as well. So then I would, from the engineer, pick up really just quick sound bites, right? That I can pick up, right? Of how does the integrator work? And here's three sentences that he wrote down that I can read back to them. And a lot of times it'd be, oh, okay, yeah, that answers my question. Yeah. You know, they would, and in their world is a very simple question to them and a layman's person that's not technical. It could, you know, they could fumble with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So just really being that and, and being involved in that process as long as you can, because yeah, you don't need to have, keep passing people off to CS, to sales engineers, to onboarding, to et cetera, et cetera. There's 
I don't know if you call it a methodology or there's a name for, for that, though, is to bring somebody else on board, layering. Uh, I'm sure there's many yeah. names for it, but basically, I'm sure you know, but for those listening, if you bring in like a technical resource into the conversation and then they answer those questions, they help where they help, and then that's it. If later on down the sales cycle, you start to lose momentum, that technical person could come in from the side and reach out to their technical person that they helped and just this quick email, hey, I just wanted to follow up with you and see how things are progressing if you had any more questions or or needed more help, whatever that is, so that that way you could jumpstart the conversation again and get the ball rolling yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely. Which I've had to do countless times. Yeah. Right. So, so working knows. And yeah, so I, I think being technical without over-engineering it, right? Don't create landmines or obstacles in your path that aren't already there, <laughs> right? And so understanding like how can you, we talked about this on another episode, you know, handle objections, right? Know what objections are going to come up, where you can bring them up and be thoughtful with someone. Hey, this is, I don't want to get ahead of my skis here. There's a more technical component to this, but have I answered XYZ components of your requirements here? Yeah. Okay. What's the next step? It's the technical review. Okay. So I think just knowing all the players on the field, knowing who's involved and getting them involved when it's appropriate, I think it's great. Yeah. And also sometimes it's not appropriate to get them involved, even if you can't answer it. And so you could always say, I don't know, let me find out for you. Go get the answer and then and shoot them an email or give them a quick call back to answer that question. Yeah. You don't need too many people in the kitchen, I guess, right? What are they saying? Too many chefs in the kitchen there, but just <laughs> understanding and, but just be someone that is always inquisitive, right? I just generally want to understand things. Yeah. I, you know, I think if you're just generally inquisitive and you get that, you know, technical question once that you don't know how to answer, and then you get the answer the next time it comes up, feel free to just answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, you'll also learn more by doing that by answering the questions yourself and getting the answer and then answering because yes it might take a little bit more time right now for the first week or two but then afterwards you're going to be able to address those problems before they come up and you're going to be able to answer them right when they arise so that you don't have to pass it off and don't have to waste anybody else's time yeah absolutely well i mean uh again we're kind of running low on time here for this this episode, is there anything you, you want to add for the sales enablement or, or engagement? No, I think that hopefully, again, everyone finds this useful that's listening to it. And I just think through thoughtfully, where do you want to deploy your resources? If you're an early stage company, you have a very finite amount of resources, right? Where do you want to deploy them? And engagement, culture, team personality, it comes from the top down, right? So if you want an engaged team, be engaged. Yeah. Right. You don't need to layer all these different TVs on and things like that. They're a great, nice to have. Don't get me wrong. They're great and they're fun, but you can come up with other ways to keep the team engaged. And mostly it comes from you just simply being engaged. And re remember that business was happening well before we had the TVs or the all these SaaS tools available. So there, there is there are ways. No, it's not. <laughs> There's no way to do it. <laughs> the rotary phones and index cards. Uh, absolutely. All right. We didn't mention this last time, but I'll put it in the show notes, both of our LinkedIn. So if you want to reach Perfect. out to one of us and ask us any questions or have us expand on any of the ideas that we talked about, feel free to do so. You could speak to John or myself and we'd be happy to help you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So join us next week when we talk about sales management and leadership 
kind of what does management do and what are they responsible for and, and how to be a good sales manager. I think that's kind of the gist of where we're wanting to go with the next conversation. Am I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. This should be a good one. So yeah, make sure you come back next week, listen to the new one. We're going to talk a lot about how do you do everything you need to do without micromanaging and how do you be a doer without doing everything yourself? Perfect. John, thanks. And we'll speak again next week. Thanks, Adam. Look forward to it. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 